The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Welcome to episode 70 of the Asian Madness Podcast. And you know what that means. Another round of weird-ass urban legends and myths from the Asian continent. If you guys know of any interesting ones or have heard of some you want me to look into, send it to my email and I'll do it. The creepy background music you will hear throughout this episode is once again provided by the captain from True Crime Garage as he so very kindly offered to compose some creepy background music for me. Do let me know if you like it. So for this episode, you will once again listen to me retell five different urban legends and myths. The beauty of these tales is that they're probably not true, but many times there are parts of it that make it eerie enough that they come back and haunt you when you're in bed late at night and can't sleep. It happens to me. I watch or hear about something scary, and during the day I'm like, that's fake, obviously I'm not scared, or no one's hiding under my bed. But I turn off the lights, go to bed, and when I can't sleep, I'm plagued with the stories that were dumb and fake from earlier. Hopefully some of these short tales can bring you some enjoyment, and maybe instill a little bit of fear or a sense of, what if, fiction or fact, you decide. Let's begin. For our first tale, we will be taking a look at a story from Thailand. This is equally a ghost story as it is a love story, just not so much of a happy ending. When people get married and promise to love each other forever, there usually is an end to it though, and that is death. Till death do us part. Is that how it is? I wonder though. Because what if there is an afterlife of some sort? Do we just stop loving this person? Or is it possible to continue that love? Sounds romantic in theory, but not if the other person doesn't know you're dead. This is a tale of Menak Pra Kanong. 
So, once upon a time, between the years 1851 and 1868, during the reign of King Mankut, a man and a woman who were crazy for each other got married. They were madly in love. Life was amazing. And soon after their marriage, the woman, Nak, was pregnant with their first child. Soon after she found out about her pregnancy, though, her husband, Tidmak, was summoned by his country to serve in the army. This was not ideal, as he did not want to leave his pregnant wife alone or miss the birth of his child, but he knew he had no way to get out of it. They said their tearful goodbyes and promised to be with each other soon. Months later, Nak was ready to give birth, but sometimes things just don't go the way we want them to. She suffered major pain and complications during childbirth, and unfortunately for everyone, she died giving birth and her baby also didn't make it. It was time for Nak to leave her earthly possessions and life behind. It was time for her to take her baby and move on to the next stage, the afterlife, or just simply the other side. But her husband, Tidmak, wasn't back yet. She didn't even get to say goodbye. He didn't even get to see their child. They weren't able to reunite one last time. Nak insisted on staying back and not crossing over to the other side. And while she was somehow able to make this choice, it does not come without consequences. When she was alive, she was a kind hearted and beautiful woman inside and out. But now, as a spirit, she was ruthless and determined, willing to kill anyone who tried to stop her from doing what she wanted. And what did she want? She just wanted to live a peaceful, happy life with her husband and child, like they initially imagined. If anyone dared mention Nak's death, she would make sure they never lived past that day. Nak returned to her home with her child, pretending everything was fine, pretending they were still alive. Eventually, her husband returned, saw his wife and child, and believed he was living his best life. He never questioned. Why his neighbors would constantly die under strange circumstances. Because he was happy. That's all that mattered to him. Life went on for the happy family. Tid Mac, completely oblivious that his wife and child were actually ghosts. But like I said, Nak's plan came with consequences. And one day, when she was preparing lunch for her family, she accidentally dropped an ingredient. When she tried to reach out to grab it, She accidentally showed her true form, as in her arm stretched out farther than any human arm could ever. Ted Mac was in the kitchen with her and saw what happened. He quickly realized that the tales were true. First of all, it is believed that Thai spirits in human forms have abnormal abilities to elongate their limbs, not in a comical way like cartoon characters, but more in a creepy way. It's usually very subtle, but once you see it, you'll know. The second thing he realized was that his wife was actually dead. Although she had never shown any intent to harm him, he was terrified at the thought. He had been living with his dead wife all this time. Later that day, Tidmak ran away and hid in a temple, as it is a holy sacred place. It was not possible for Nak to enter and find him there. Nak soon realized that her husband found out the truth and fled, 
and she was not just grief-stricken, she was also furious. How dare he? After all that she's done? This threw Nak into a state of rage, and she began to kill anyone in sight, taking many innocent lives away. The neighbors, who were somehow still alive, knew they had to put an end to the situation, so they hired a monk exorcist to trap her evil spirit and lock it away. The monk did his job, and after her spirit was locked away in a jar, it was tossed into a body of water, and peace was finally restored in the village. But this peace was not long-lasting. A fisherman accidentally found the jar and unknowingly opened it, which once again released a vengeful spirit of Nak, and once again, people began to die. But this time, everyone knew the situation, so a rather powerful monk took up the job to once again trap her spirit. This time, her spirit was captured and locked inside her forehead bone, meaning just a part of her skull. To prevent anybody from accidentally releasing her again, this monk began to carry her with him everywhere he went. And when he himself died, this bone was given to the Thai royal family, where they would keep it safe and keep everyone else safe as well. If this is true, the bone fragment should be found somewhere hidden in the royal family palace. While most of us believe in love and in death do us part, sometimes death may not be the end. It is terribly unfair to have to leave everything you love, but is it fair to deceive others and kill for love? Is this the kind of love story you are hoping for? Of course, this sounds somewhat fantastical, especially if you don't believe in ghosts. But can you for certain say that there is no afterlife, no spirits? I would like to know, or send me proof. Thanks. There is a shrine in Thailand that is dedicated to Mainak, as she is seen as one of the most popular legends in Thailand. Pregnant women visit the shrine hoping to be blessed with an easy birth. Men go to the shrine hoping to avoid getting drafted into the military. And many others just hope that the shrine of Mainak will bring them luck. Would you visit? Next up, let's travel a few countries over and check out what's creepy in Singapore. So, what does this tiny country have to offer us in terms of urban legends? Let me ask you, do you like board games? Do you have a competitive nature? How far would you go if you simply had to play a game of, say, chess? Would you ever put your own life in danger to win? Or would you ever want to risk somebody else's life to show just how good you are? This is quite an interesting urban legend from the island of St. John, which is a small island off the coast of Singapore. To get to this island, you will need to take a ferry from the Marina South Pier. So what's so special about this place? Well, like most islands we hear about, it's a great place for people to kind of do a day trip at. And there are also other small islands you can get to from St. John, like Lazarus Island. There is a marine laboratory, there are beaches, hiking trails, and if you really, really like it, you can even book an overnight stay at the lodge on the island. So, what's the creepy story? 
It's not really clear as to when this was built, but a huge life-size chessboard can be found on the island of St. John. It's rumored to be haunted, and if you spend time there at night, you can even hear moaning and crying sounds coming from it. Sometimes even footsteps that sound like they're walking across a chessboard. So back during the days of World War II, this chessboard was already there. And people would use this life-size board as a way to play with other people. So it's kind of like any other team sport. You have two teams and two leaders, one for each team, so that would be 17 people per team. It's exactly like regular chess, but instead of using chess pieces, you use people and somehow mark them depending on which piece they represent. Okay, but what's so creepy about this? Well, this wasn't exactly a relaxed game of chess. This wasn't even a voluntary game of chess. It was rumored that during World War II, when the Japanese soldiers were occupying the area, they would play chess on this board to pass the time. Except instead of a happy voluntary game, they would use prisoners as the chess pieces. The two Japanese soldiers who controlled the chess pieces would tell each piece to move to where. And every time a piece got knocked off the board by the opposing team, they would behead the prisoners. Truly sadistic. And sort of hard to believe anyone would be so cruel to do something like this, right? But in fact, history has always shown us that there are plenty of sadistic and evil people out there. Whether it's during world wars, in concentration camps, or even regular people committing crimes. Do you think this is all just a myth? Or do you think it's entirely possible? I don't know how many rounds they played during the occupation, but if they had enough time and enough prisoners, I wouldn't be surprised if they amassed a huge number of decapitated bodies by the end of the war. I also wouldn't be surprised if these restless souls roamed the area. Now tell me. How far are you willing to go for a fun game of chess? For our third tale, we will travel to the city of Shenzhen, China, and study a series of strange events reported by the locals. When you see a building, what comes to mind? Generally speaking, we think of offices, people's homes, or something along those lines. Buildings are buildings. Some are plain, some are modern, some are incredibly stylish. But could they mean more than what meets the eye? Let's take a look at a group of buildings in the city of Shenzhen. What makes these buildings worth mentioning? Let's start by going back in time. Construction began in February of 1995, and everything was finished at the end of April 1997. These were a series of multi-purpose buildings some were used for businesses, some were made for people to live in. What made this development stand out, though, was the exterior color and shape. All the buildings in the development were a strange shade of reddish pink, which actually looks pretty eerie once the sun begins to set. If you're looking into the city from the outside, or from up in the air, these buildings stand out immediately, as all the other buildings surrounding them are white, beige, or other colors along those lines. The land these series of buildings were built on were believed to have been used as execution grounds at one point in history. 
For those that are superstitious, like the Chinese, this is not great. But then again, land is land. It would be a shame to leave it just because of its history or hypothetical spirits. Before construction began, many feng shui masters were called in to provide their opinions and expertise on the matter. They all agreed that it is definitely possible to build stuff on a land that was filled with horror and death. But in order to keep the spirits contained, the building had to be of a reddish color, as red was a happy color. Red is the color in traditional Chinese weddings, and people tend to wear red during Chinese New Year holidays as it is considered a happy color. The shape of the buildings were pointy on top, which vaguely resembled the shape of a candle. In the end, these individual buildings would look like red candles. This was concluded as the best way to ward off evil and vengeful spirits. But did the shape and color and positioning of the building help ward off strange occurrences? Here are some events that reportedly happened in the buildings. Case 1. Let's examine the 21st floor of one of the buildings. It is rumored that the 21st floor is exceptionally strange. I'm not sure if that floor was used for businesses or apartments, but just imagine this scenario. You arrive at the 21st floor and everything is quiet. Maybe it's after work hours, maybe it's the middle of the night, and you just got home. As you make your way through the hall, you suddenly hear the sound of running water, like someone turning on the faucet in the bathroom of that floor. You check the bathroom quickly, and the sound goes away, and there is no one in there. Or maybe you decide to take a quick trip to the bathroom, and when you enter, no one is there. All the stalls are empty, and you go into one of them. Then suddenly, you hear the sound of toilet paper getting torn off the holder from the next stall, the sound of a toilet flushing, or the sound of faucet turning on. But you know for sure you are the only one in the bathroom. How do you explain that? People have also reportedly stated that regardless of what floor you're headed to in the building's elevator, as long as you're supposed to pass by the 21st floor, it will always stop even if you didn't press the button. What makes that floor so special, or extra haunted? Something else happened that further pushed the bad feng shui and haunted building narrative. A very rich and successful businessman purchased several units in one of the buildings, but after only a few months of moving in, not only did all his business ventures fail miserably, he was broke and his entire family got sick and died. Imagine that. Is it because it's bad feng shui? Is it because it was built on a forbidden piece of land and everyone living on it is doomed for life? Tons of units in these buildings still seem to remain unoccupied, which I believe makes sense considering how superstitious Chinese people can be. And honestly, even if you're not sure, why would you put yourself through this? I would completely understand avoiding these high-risk places, Unless you're a ghost hunter or you do not believe in anything supernatural whatsoever. It's kind of like those movies we see on TV. The family finds the house of their dreams, super low price, beautiful interior. Oh, but FYI, an entire family was slaughtered in the house a few years ago, but no biggie. Would you live there? Moving on to tale number four. 
we will venture to a place I have yet to touch on, Saudi Arabia. I always get a bit hesitant when it comes to some countries really far out in the West, or anywhere in West Asia. Is it part of Asia, or is it part of Europe, or is it neither? Anyway, I did my research and found an interesting haunted location, and maybe you will find it fascinating as well. This is a house called the Haunted House of Jeddah, located near the seafront on the north of Jeddah Cornish, which is located along the Red Sea. It's very interesting in the sense that when you picture a haunted house in your head, you usually picture a big old looking house, severely under the weather, falling apart, and maybe even with some window panes missing and graffiti spray painted across the walls. That's pretty much what the House of Jeddah looks like. Not just that though, you can also see crows hanging about the house, and the area around the house is eerily quiet, making it seem even spookier. So what makes people say this place is haunted? Allegedly, this house once belonged to a family, and when you enter the house, it is said that there are still bits and pieces that remind trespassers that this is not a prop house, but that actual people lived here and created a life here. The house was built with Italian tiles, which can still be found inside. There's also damaged furniture and personal belongings that once belonged to somebody but none of that seemed to matter anymore. The house had been on fire, and the walls, the ceilings, the curtains all showed signs of black soot. Whether this house burned down while people were still living there, or had burned down afterwards, is still a mystery. Most people tend to avoid this house in general, including taxi drivers. They just don't really want to go near it, and maybe you think they're being superstitious and silly, or maybe they're just being cautious. It was also alleged that many people that went in the house to explore were never seen again. Like they just vanished into thin air. Or maybe the house somehow swallowed them alive. Many ghost hunting teams and individuals who tried to show their bravery have entered this house hoping to catch a glimpse of something. A ghost hunting team spent the night there, and although they didn't manage to catch anything on camera, they did hear random footsteps and see flashes of yellow blinking lights at random times. But sometimes it's not necessarily what we see or what we hear that scares us. Sometimes it's the mere anticipation, the presence, the weird feeling or vibe it gives off that scares people. Some say that even when you go up to the house during daytime, you will immediately begin to feel uneasy, like something from inside the house is staring back at you, taunting you. People have reportedly felt their blood pressure rise, get the nervous sweats, and feel nervous shock go off in their bodies. Have you ever heard of or been to a place that just doesn't sit right with you? A place that just automatically makes you feel dread? Some may say that houses and locations are just places, things, structures. There's no soul. It's not alive. It's the people, the memories the things they leave behind that gives life to a place. And that, I agree. If you have to choose between a completely new but empty abandoned house, or a house with a lot of history and death in it, which would seem creepier to you? Lots of feelings towards so-called haunted houses can stem from our own self-inflicted fears, and maybe even superstition. But just because you never experienced it, 
doesn't mean it's not there. There's a quote I really like from a ghost hunting team that stayed there overnight. Quote, We saw no ghosts or ghouls, but then, absence of proof is not proof of absence. End quote. Do you agree? As for our final tale, it may sound a bit familiar to many of you if you're into horror movies. Sometimes we watch horror movies and even if it scares us a bit, we do our best to reassure ourselves by thinking, oh, it's not real. It's just some weird-ass idea someone once had and wrote a screenplay, which then became a movie. Fictional stuff. But sometimes movies come from legends and stories, the whole based-on-a-true-story, inspired by real-life events. Does that scare you more? This is the legend of Okiku's Well, which is more commonly known as the story that inspired one of the most famous horror movies out there, The Ring. There are a few different variations to this story, but either way, it ends with a woman's death and her vengeful ghost haunting the world. For this story, we will be traveling to Japan, of course, but more specifically, the Himeji Castle, which is a real place located in Hyogo Prefecture of Japan. This castle is also known as the White Heron Castle, and it is an extremely popular spot for tourists visiting Japan. This castle was built sometime in the 1300s, and is currently a World Heritage Site and a national treasure. Hundreds of years ago, a young woman by the name of Okiku worked in this castle, serving a samurai by the surname of Aoyama. As the legend goes, Okiku was an exceptionally beautiful woman, and not only did others around her think so, the samurai Aoyama also noticed it too. That's an understatement, actually. He was reportedly to be enamored with her. Despite him having a wife and children, it didn't stop him from pursuing Okiku, trying to get her attention and trying to seduce her. Okiku, though, was determined and knew that this was wrong. Or maybe she knew that the cons of engaging with Aoyama greatly outweighed the pros. Either way, she would continue to reject his declarations of love. Aoyama was a samurai, and the words give up probably did not exist in his personal dictionary. Also, he was a man of status. He could probably get what he wanted if he tried hard enough. He eventually came up with a devious plan to get her to give in. You see, Aoyama owned a set of ten golden plates, very beautiful and very valuable plates. He took one of the plates, hid them, and called Okiku over. He told her that one of his valuable plates was missing, and if she could find and collect all of the plates for him, he would give up and forgive her for not reciprocating his feelings. Totally reasonable, right? Okiku got to work immediately, looking for the plates, and after she found them, she began to count them. One was missing. That doesn't seem right. She could have sworn she knew where all ten plates were at. It just doesn't seem to make sense that one was missing. Aoyama then played the nice guy card, telling her that although the plate is extremely valuable and she would probably get into a ton of trouble if others found out that she lost one of them, he was willing to strike a deal with her. He would forgive her for not finding the last plate if she would agree to be his mistress. Good deal, right? 
Well, Okiku once again stuck to her principles and refused. This infuriated Aoyama because he thought his plan was foolproof, and yet this woman continued to defy him. He ordered some of his servants to give Okiku a beating, and then had her tied up above the castle well, where Aoyama and his men would continue beating her and dunking her into the well repeatedly. He asked her once again if she was willing to be his mistress. She again said no. Finally, the samurai gave up and tossed her body into the well. In a shorter version of this tale, Okiku would look for the plates, realize one was always missing. She would then throw herself down the well after Aoyama proposed a solution, that he would forgive her if she found the last plate. Okiku knew that she would never find the plate. She knew that she was being set up. Instead of giving him the satisfaction of having total control over her fate, she decided to jump into the well herself and end her life. Which version do you prefer? But of course, there's more. After Okiku's death in the well, her vengeful spirit began to torment Aoyama and those that she came across. She would allegedly crawl out of the well every night and haunt Aoyama while he slept. Some people would hear a woman scream in agony at night near the well. Some others have heard a woman counting every single night. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then screaming would follow because even as a vengeful ghost, Okiku was never able to find the last plate. It was rumored that those people who managed to stick around to hear her count to nine would eventually end up dead, under strange circumstances, of course. Everyone was terrified of Okiku, and the lord of the castle eventually asked a high priest to come pray for her and release her from her own hell. The priest approached the well at night, and when she began counting, he patiently waited until she reached nine, and as soon as she did, he himself yelled, Ten! at her. This seemed to have relieved Okiku's ghost, as it appeared that the tenth plate was finally found. She would no longer have to keep roaming and searching. She was finally free. Aside from the woman crawling out of a well and being obsessed with numbers, there aren't that many other similarities between Okiku's well and Sadako from The Ring. Either way though, it's still an inspiration for the movie and it just goes to show that people do believe in vengeful ghosts. Those that died under unnatural circumstances and are in need of either revenge or relief. So there you have it. Five more tales from the continent of Asia. To be completely honest with you, I was low-key freaking out about running out of new material for my Urban Legends episode, especially since so many of you seem to like these episodes a lot. Turns out there is no shortage of cool stories, but some do require extra digging and research. I've noticed many urban legends and scary tales share a common theme, the scorned or vengeful lady ghost. I suppose it has to do with history too, where women rarely get a say in things and were considered relatively less important. What are your thoughts? Why are women ghosts so popular? And not just in Asia. Think about Bloody Mary, La Llorona, etc. Anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts. 
Again, if you have stories you would like me to look into for the next Urban Legends episode, send me an email. If you have any case suggestions, please, please, please send it to my email address. I get a ton of suggestions on Instagram, but it would be so much easier to keep track if they're in my email inbox. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't be shy. Leave me a rating and a review. I do not like to hound people for compliments, and I'm bad at taking compliments, but it would really mean a lot. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Be safe, be kind, and if you do see a ghost, don't freak out. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.